Hi everyone, welcome to the Step Outside podcast from the Department of Forestry, Wildlife and Fisheries at the University of Tennessee Institute of Agriculture. I'm your host, Christy Keel Blackman. Today, I would like to welcome Kyler Heckey to our podcast. Kyler is a PhD student here in our department, and today we're going to talk about his research on the sickle darter. Welcome, Kyler. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Thanks for being here. So let's jump in, and if you would just introduce us on a kind of a basic level to your dissertation research. Yeah, so I'm a third-year PhD student. Kind of my dissertation research encompasses a lot of different things. And so when I first got here, uh, Dr. Alford, my advisor and I, we wanted to assess uh, historical distributions of both fish and mussels of greatest conservation need in the Clinch River drainage. It's a really diverse drainage as far as the number of species of both mussels and fish that occur there. So we acquired a lot of uh, historical data set, distribution data sets, and we wanted to figure out how distributions of these species have changed over time and kind of what environmental factors have influenced the distributions of these species. And another part is uh, we're assessing the current distribution of the sickle darter. It is a species only found in the upper Tennessee River drainage in Tennessee, Virginia, and North Carolina. So we assessed that, but also we kind of uh, did a little side project where we're tracking the small-scale movement of this species to try to figure out if it actually stays in the same kind of habitat year-round. But in short, that's that's pretty much my dissertation research. You sent me a research paper ahead of time so that I could review it, and I looked over that. So why are we looking at the sickle darter specifically? Why is that one species so important? So like I just said, it's only found in the Upper Tennessee River drainage, but ultimately nobody's ever assess its actual uh, distribution. In the past hundred years, kind of here and there, and other, you know, standard sampling uh, programs by, you know, TWRA or TBA, uh, it has been observed. And, you know, you just put down that long of where it occurred, but that's it. So we kind of had, you know, maybe a general idea of where it occurred, but we didn't actually know, does it actually occur in all these other sites like the ones we find them then? Also, because of that, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has petitioned it to be listed as potentially federally threatened or endangered because we've realized that historically where it was observed, say maybe 100 years ago, it no longer does. Okay. So we're seeing kind of a reduction in its, its distribution. So it's important that we, we currently figure out where it occurs so we can try to figure out what the best management decision is to help recover that species and figure out also if it actually needs to be listed as federally threatened or endangered. Okay. So is it safe to say that the sickle darter is not the only fish of concern? This is just one species that you're looking at? Yeah, yeah, it's not the only one. Uh, there are a lot of, not only just darters, but a lot of fish species, you know, that don't get necessarily the attention they need to understand if there are changes in their, you know, their, their species status or their distribution. The grant we got was a state wildlife grant, and state wildlife grants uh, mainly focus on, you know, these species of greatest conservation need to try to figure out if, you know, there's been drastic changes in their distribution or their species status and try to also help them based off the research done, determine what kind of conservation measure needs to be done to, you know, help them by reintroductions or uh, habitat improvement work. 
Would you be working with reintroduction projects eventually? I'm building an ecological niche model for based off the distribution data we're collecting for sickle darts. And basically what that is predicting is within the upper Tennessee River drainage, uh, which stream reaches have the highest probability of suitable habitat for sickle darters. So how that model and the data I'm collecting are going to be utilized are when you got you to gotta ground truth the model. All right, so there's a high probability of suitable habitat for sickle darters, but I, I may not have sampled there. Well, let's go sample there and see if they actually occur there first. But also TWRA, TVA, whoever ends up making the decision, conservation decisions for the species, they will ultimately do it once I'm gone. Like, well, we need to go reintroduce this species in, you know, North Fork Holston River or something like that, where historically they occurred and I went sample there, but we were un- unable to observe any sickle darters up there. Okay. Uh, so I, I personally won't be able to be a part of that. Which I'll follow it. Don't sure. get me wrong. <laughs> so your research is directly contributing to whether this species gets listed. Yep. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Oddly enough, next week I'm actually meeting with the uh, species status assessment team, uh, and we're going to sit down and we we're each given chapters for the species status assessment of the sickle darter to review and kind of we're all sitting down and making sure we have all the everything fine-tuned of what we need to say and kind of what we know about the species to submit to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service so they can hopefully make the best decision for the species. But yeah, my data, yeah, my data is going to help contribute to, you know, what what's ultimately determined for that species. That's great. That's really fascinating. Going back to this little fish itself, what types of threats is the sickle dart facing currently? In my analysis of the historical distribution of the species compared to what I have observed with my, my sampling data for the species, they have positives, they have negatives, but dams, the uh, hydropower dams, and then the small mill dams, which a lot of them are uh, not even in use anymore, but that has caused habitat fragmentation for these species or for this species. And, you know, when we find these species, a lot of times when you think of fish species, you think, you know, the best water quality, the best kinds of habitat. Sickle sickle darters, like, you're you're some pretty nasty stuff sometimes, which is odd, but they can make do. But what what we've noticed is that the habitat fragmentation appears to be one of the major, major threats to the species. So historically, you know, before dams, all these dams were built in the upper Tennessee River drainage. They were pretty, what we like to think is widely distributed across these, these similar habitats. Okay. But when you, you put in mill dams, you separate these species so you don't have immigration and immigration in between these two populations of the species. So we like to hypothesize that's the major threat to the species. Okay. Uh, as far as, you know, water quality changes, uh, maybe, but we don't really have a, a lot of data to support mm-hmm. support that yet. Mm-hmm. So it's a pretty tolerant species of... Yeah, uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, we were in Middle Fork Holston River, I think it was two summers ago. And it's right in the middle of Chilhowee, Virginia, in that town. And, you know, you have all this runoff from concrete pavement from parking lots and, and other things. Mm-hmm. And so basically everything that's thrown on the ground gets put in a river. And you're like, I don't know if this species will be there. And you find it and you're like, hmm. well, sure enough, it, I guess it likes this kind of stuff. Wow. But, um, yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable that you can be in such what you call bad habitat, I guess you could say. And you still find sickle Yeah, doctors. that's interesting. They, they are very tolerant, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I also read in your the paper that you sent me that it's easier to find these fish while snorkeling rather than seining or electroshocking. Yeah, as far as fishers research goes or sampling streams and rivers, you know, the standard is to, you know, use minnow seines or seining, but also use backpack electrofishing. And most times uh, with those in tandem with one another, where you backpack electrofish down into a seine. 
And so ideally, all fish you're looking for, you can find via that way. But because uh, sickle darters are kind of semi-pelagic, where a lot of darters are benthic, you find them on the bottom. Mm -hmm. So that makes them easier to sample via shocking or saying. Sickle darters, I like to call them escape artists because we've gone snorkeling and we'll observe one. And you know, we'll put a marker down in the stream so we can come back later and try to try to get it via shocking or saying. Mm -hmm. And you go right through that habitat. And, well, you'll get other fish, but you won't get sickle darters. Hmm. But also we've gone and we've shocked and saying certain habitats at certain sites we won't get sickle darters well then we'll put you know we try to do that first and cool off i guess you could say by snorkeling and we'll go snorkeling and look, snorkeling and look at the same habitat and we'll find sickle darters so it's pretty impressive that that's the best way to observe uh, the presence or absence of sickle darters beyond contributing to the listing status of this species what do you hope comes out of this research that you've been doing for three years yeah prior to coming to ut and doing this research i did not have a lot of experience snorkeling you know i've done it a time or two but it, it really sheds light on how sometimes it might have to change our sampling methods to increase our detection rates or our probability of taking a species at the highest rate so we can make sure we're collecting the kind of data we need mm -hmm. to uh, answer the research question we're trying to answer but also, I hope with building an ecological niche modeling, a niche model for the species, I really hope that other other researchers kind of utilize the application of ecological niche modeling to, you know, these, these species greatest conservation need and how they might contribute to future conservation measures for these species. Like I said, uh, ecological niche model predicts the probability of suitable habitat. On a scale of, you know, statistics, ecological niche modeling is relatively new, 15, 20 years old. Mm -hmm. It really started in, you know, birds and amphibians, and it's just now trickling over to, you know, the fishery side of things. I like to think we're doing a good job, and hopefully uh, other researchers will, will appreciate ecological modeling and see how you can apply it to, you know, predicting distributions of these species. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to say it's going to be the, the best one, but it's another good example to use a reference when you're designing other studies to assess other uh, distributions of species of greatest conservation need. Great. So this could be contributing to scientific data collection as a whole. Yeah. In my opinion, when you always do research, you like to think that what you're doing will, will contribute to scientific data collection, that you're doing some good mm -hmm. and somebody will benefit it, whether it be the species or researchers in the future right. based off what you're doing. So I like to think we're doing that. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Are there any last words you'd like to say about your research or is there anything that you'd like to leave with people? Yeah, uh, I would say, you know, a lot of people, they spend time around water bodies, rivers, streams, or lakes. But, you know, a lot of times people just see fish darting around or mm -hmm. swimming. They think they're all minnows and shiners, which, you know, even I thought that when I was a little kid because I, I didn't know any better. But now that, you know, I've gone through school and I've learned, like, there are so many different kinds of species, darters, minnows, sculpins, and shiners. I would tell people, just so you can open your eyes to, I'm going to call it the aquatic world, uh, mm -hmm. go snorkeling sometime. I mean, you can get, you know, a goggle and a snorkel for fairly cheap, but just stick your head in the water and you'll be amazed at what you can see. Uh, not only fish, but mussels, crayfish, uh, and aquatic insect larvae. And it, it, to me, that's one of the best things you could do is just observe kind of how the aquatic ecosystem works by mm -hmm. sticking your head in the water. Uh, but yeah, that's what I would hope people would want to do in the future. I try to tell all my friends back home, like, go do it. Like when the water's clear and the water's uh -huh. fairly warm, yeah. uh, there's nothing better than that. That's it's great. basically swimming, but you're, you're, I'll call it seeing a movie while you're swimming. That's awesome. Much. Yeah. So you heard it here first. Go stick your head in the water. <laughs> Direct from Kyler Hecke. <laughs>
Thanks, Kyler, for joining us. This was awesome. And I certainly learned a lot about the sickle darter because I was not familiar with this fish at all. And I'm assuming that most other people who aren't doing their dissertation on the sickle darter. Yeah, I hope, I hope people learned as well. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And everyone who's listening, thank you for joining us. Please be sure to tune in next time. We'll speak with another grad student about research in the Department of Forestry, Wildlife, and Fisheries. For more real-life solutions provided by the UT Institute of Agriculture, go to our website at ag.tennessee.edu.